Welcome to the Birmingham Vineyard Podcast. We hope you find it insightful and encouraging. If you want to find out more about us, head to our website, birminghamvineyard.com. I am carrying on the next little bit in our sermon series on the book of James. Now, how many of you feel your blood start to boil when you think about someone who says one thing and does another? Like a politician who talks about the benefits of environmental living, the need to uh, conserve the environment and drives a massive gas guzzling vehicle and is on the board of an oil company. Or did you feel outrage at the public officials who reinforced the importance of COVID restrictions and then did precisely the opposite in their own private lives? Well, I did. We really react to these contradictory moments where people say one thing and do another. And it's really easy, isn't it, to call it out in other people and to spot it and to get cross about it. But it's much harder when we realise that actually we're also those people too. We all do it. We all say one thing and then do something completely different. There are things that we believe to be true about life, about faith, about God, but then we find ourselves functioning in a completely different way. For example, we all know conceptually that broccoli and kale are meant to be really good for us. But most of us crave things that we know we shouldn't be consuming at all, like crisps or chocolate. Now, I know that there is absolutely no nutritional benefit to my eating crisps, but if you open a bag of crisps in my presence, I won't just eat one crisp, I will consume the entire bag because I can't stop myself. The truth is that it's a consistent theme in the lives of people who try to follow Jesus. We say we believe something, but it is so hard to put it into practice. Do our actions match our words? This is James's central concern in the piece of um, scripture that we're looking at today. So if you've got a Bible or a gadget or something in which you've got some Bible, you might want to pull that up. We're looking at James chapter 2 and verses 14 to 26. Uh, but I'm going to first of all just start by reading verses 14 to 19. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds. Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. So here in this passage, James, ever hard-hitting, highlights the inconsistency between what we say and what we actually do. It reminded me of the famous words of Apostle Paul in Romans 7, where he said, I want to do what's good, but I don't. And I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do that anyway. And this is James being really tough. It's tough love. He's calling out hypocrisy. Tim Keller gives us a really good definition of a hypocrite. He says a hypocrite is an inconsistent person that says one thing but does another and knows that they're doing something wrong but puts up a front. And this is exactly what James is getting at. If we're being really honest, do we have a genuine and authentic 
faith in Jesus. The theologian and philosopher Dallas Willard said this, we often speak of people not living up to their faith. Genuine beliefs are made obvious by what people actually do. We always live up to our beliefs or down to them, as the case may be. Nothing else is possible. It's the nature of belief. And James is saying here that our genuine beliefs are made obvious by what we actually do. In other words, your faith is already in action. People can see what we believe by how we live our lives. So we have to get really good at being honest with ourselves. Do I have a real faith? Am I really living the faith I say I believe in? Is my faith shown by my actions? And in today's passage, we see James telling us what authentic faith is all about. And I think we can pull out three things. Authentic faith is love in action, is more than words, and is beyond reason. So let's talk about those things. First of all, love in action. James is saying a genuine faith or an authentic faith results in genuine works. Now, he's already spoken about some of the differences present in every church. He's talked about different backgrounds, different economic realities. And at the start of the chapter, he's gone through how we honour one another, how we don't show favouritism. Now he starts to talk about how we should serve one another. So verses 1 to 13 was about our attitude. And now verses 14 to 26 is about our actions. So look, he says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith in itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So he's really calling out counterfeit faith. And real faith needs to show up in real ways. We need to have practical expressions of our faith in Jesus, which are always visible and can be costly. It's about active love for other people, which is a theme that flows throughout the Bible and particularly in the New Testament. So I just picked out three different verses which talk about love in action. 1 John 3 and verse 14, we know we have passed from death to life if we love one another. If anyone has any any material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Or Galatians 5 and verse 6, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. Or John 13, 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So genuine faith isn't indifferent, it's involved. We all love to think of ourselves as a loving person. Of course we do, I want to think that I'm a loving person. So how does that actually show up in my life? Because I'm not just talking about being loving to our friends. That's really easy to do. And Jesus was really straight about that in Luke 6. He said, do you think you deserve credit for merely loving those who love you? Even sinners do that. For love to be genuine, it has to extend beyond our natural friendship group, beyond people in our own life stage, beyond those of our own culture. And we need to learn that as church family as we grow together. And I'm really glad that it is what people are experiencing in our church. We really are growing a place of faith, hope and love being made visible in how we live. So what might that practically look like on a Sunday? Well, it might look like talking to people who aren't like us or inviting somebody home for lunch or to dinner in the week. 
learning from someone else's culture or praying for someone that you don't know, turning to someone we've never spoken to in that little turn and say hi moment rather than the person sitting alongside us, giving our car to someone rather than trading it in, helping someone with a financial shortfall, both big or small. Because James is really talking practically here about brothers and sisters in Christ who have genuine needs for food or for clothing. He says, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. So maybe you saw that Facebook post in the, in the week that said that we were trying to furnish a home for a Syrian refugee lady who had absolutely nothing. Maybe we can help respond to that. I know Andrew's taken a bunch of crockery into town this morning so that she's got something to eat from. In God's family, we have the genuine reality of some being in need and others having surplus. And I love this from Randy Alcorn in his book, The Treasure Principle. Why does God give some of his children more than they need when others have less than they need? So that he may use his children to help one another. When those with too much give to those with too little, two problems are solved. When they don't, two problems are perpetuated. And I think there's two ways that we can respond to that. We can respond to spontaneous promptings of the Holy Spirit to give to other people when they come up. Or you might just get a little idea in your heart that says, oh, I feel like I should give to this person or I should give to that person or I should give something to that homeless person on the street. But also with our planned and our consistent giving, when we become aware of needs as a church and people have given in a planned, consistent way to church, we can respond to every need as it arises. What we're aiming at, what we really want is a life that is whole and integrated, where our beliefs match our practice. And this should be the nature of all faith. Dallas Willard said, you believe something when your whole being is ready to act as if something is so. Faith is not a wild, desperate leap. It is a confidence grounded in reality. To have faith in God is to trust him, to have confidence in him. So faith says, I want to put into practice everything you invite me to do. Now, if I asked you to think what indicators of a strong faith would look like, you would probably list things like Somebody who prays, someone who reads the Bible, somebody who fasts, somebody who memorises Bible verses, perhaps. And that is a really good list. But we're equally called to visit the sick, to serve one another, to show hospitality, to be honest, to control our temper, to be consistently kind and helpful, to watch somebody's children, to join a Sunday team, oops, to grab a bag, fill a bag and give a bag. So James, uh, in verse 18, says, you have faith, I have deeds. Some people think that there are different kinds of Christians. You might hear someone say, well, I'm the praying type. My spirituality is contemplative and prophetic. I spend a lot of time alone with Jesus. You might be one of those practical Christians who gets hands-on. That's not really for me. Honestly, The Bible doesn't support that kind of contrast. And James in this passage is calling it out. He's saying, no, an authentic faith has to be more than words. So let's move on to that. More than words. It says in verse 19, you believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. 
quite hard hitting, isn't it? James goes back to one of the most basic convictions of Judaism, the confession that God is one. It's from the Old Testament where it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the Jewish believers listening to James would have recognised that as a declaration that comes from the book of Deuteronomy. And it was recited every single morning and every single evening by the Jewish people. But James is saying that the issue here is just, just acknowledging who God is is not enough. Simply saying God is one doesn't get us very far if it doesn't make a difference in our life. The affirmation of that truth is central to our Christian faith and it is central to our worship, but it doesn't end there because it means nothing to simply say the right things but not do them. This, according to James, is to have a faith on the level of demons. Demonic faith is believing the script of the Bible but doing nothing about it. He says the demons believe there's a God the difference is they don't bow down and surrender to him. So belief has to translate into action if it's to make any difference. And James really drives this home. He says faith is more than words. To believe the right stuff, to say the right stuff, to sing the right stuff, it's not enough. Let's look at what Jesus said in one of his parables in Matthew 7 and verses 24 to 27. This is in the message version. He says, these words I speak to you are not incremental additions to your life. Homeowner improvements on your, to your standard of living, they are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. And this is beautifully captured in the book You Are What You Love by James Smith. He says this, Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align ourselves and our loves and our longings with his, to want what God wants, to hunger and thirst after God and to crave a world where he is all in all, a vision encapsulated by the shorthand of the kingdom of God. Jesus is a teacher who doesn't just inform our intellect but forms our very loves. You are what you love because you live towards what you really want. Discipleship is more a matter of reformation than of acquiring information. Martin Luther wrote, whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that is really your God. Sobering words. I love what Dallas Willard also says about discipleship. He says, if I am Jesus' disciple, that means I am with him to learn from him how to be like him. Being a disciple in any area is not about being perfect. Rather, it's about, it is someone who has decided to be with another person in order to become capable of doing what that person does or to become what that person is. A disciple of Jesus is not necessarily one devoted to doing religious things. Instead, I'm learning from Jesus how to live my whole life, my real life, and it covers everything, religious or not. So let's come back to our passage and uh, James 2, verses 18 to 20. I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, sounds good, you take care of the faith department, I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith. 
then I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith fit together like hand in glove. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you complacently sitting back as if you'd done something wonderful? That's just great. Demons do that. But what, what good does it do them? Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? Gosh, so a few questions come up from this. Is James saying that we are not saved by our faith? Is James saying that we're actually saved by the works that we do? Well, some have tried to use this passage to say that the Bible contradicts itself. How do we square this with what Paul says about salvation by faith alone? Because he says in Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Well, let's remember that James would have been familiar with the teaching of Paul. In fact, James and Paul knew each other. They'd met. And James in this passage is probably offering a little bit of correction, not to Paul himself, but to the followers of Paul who have taken that faith alone teaching and kind of distorted it or abused it because people were taking Paul's words and slightly changing the meaning. James's concern is that faith must be expressed in love. And that's exactly Paul's concern. He says in 1 Corinthians, Paul, this is, I can have faith that moves mountains, but if I don't have love, I'm nothing. And then Paul goes on from there to describe love in really detailed terms. He says, you'll remember the passage, love is patient, love is kind, love is not easily angered, love doesn't love wrongs. Love shows up in very practical ways. So there in James 2 and verse 24, you see a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So genuine faith is love in action, is more than words, and it's beyond reason. So we come on now to the final piece of today's passage, which is about Abraham and Rahab. So let's look at verses 20 to 26. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Now, Abraham and Rahab are two really interesting um, examples. They could hardly have been more different as people. Abraham was a Jewish man. Rahab was a Canaanite woman. Abraham was rich. Rahab was poor. Abraham was a patriarch. Rahab was a prostitute. Let me just give you a little backdrop into their story. So Abraham set off on a journey with God. He had no idea where they were going and he didn't know when they were going to get there. Against all hope, he believed God's promise that he would father many nations, even though his body was as good as dead and he was really old. Abraham was then willing to sacrifice his only son on an altar when God asked him to, confident that God would be faithful to his promises, even when his act of obedience made absolutely no sense. Rahab was a prostitute living in Jericho at the time that Joshua sent spies into the land. She defied the king and she hid the spies, kept them safe overnight, helped them escape from her house and so they could get back out of the city. 
Then she and her household were saved when the Israelites took Jericho because she was able to identify herself by hanging a red thread out of her window. She went on to marry an Israelite and became the great-grandmother of King David and so part of the family tree of Jesus himself. So what do these two seemingly completely different people have in common? Well, Abraham believed that God would do what he promised and was prepared to put his faith into practice. Rahab had confidence that God was bringing his kingdom and she wanted to be part of it. She put her trust in God, even though it put her at odds with her her whole community. Her obedience and her faith was risky. So both of these stories illustrate the same point, that true faith is shown in action, that it comes in all shapes and sizes and is for every kind of person. You can't get your head around it. It doesn't always make sense. And sometimes it feels like God will stretch you to the end of your comfort zone And then a little bit further, because God actually calls us to do things that are beyond reason. As we realise the extravagant love of God for us, it should flow out from us in tangible, even seemingly unreasonable ways. Because sometimes a life of faith invites us to do things that don't seem to make a huge amount of sense. God might ask you to make a really big sacrifice, something that feels really massive to you. He might be asking you to forgive a person who's really hurt you, to be patient with somebody who really gets on your nerves. But we might be called to go even further. Here are some examples that have really challenged us just recently. How reasonable is it to give away 100% of your salary for a season because you trust that God's asked you to do that and to trust in his goodness and provision? We know some pastors who did that, who gave away 100% of their income for a season. How reasonable is it to save up for a house deposit and then be prompted by God to give the whole lot away? How reasonable is it to have people living in your home and never charge them any rent? Big or small, every decision counts. Because Christian faith always leads to practical action. We cannot divide the world into spiritual and practical because the spiritual is practical. The author John Altberg said this, Jesus is not interested in your spiritual life. He's interested in your life. I love that. In verse 22 in our passage today, you see that Abraham's faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. So James is saying that our faith must speak to all of our life. How you show up at work on Monday morning is an outworking of your faith. How you deal with an awkward customer. How you respond to your stressed colleague. How you get out of bed in the morning before you've had a cup of coffee. What you're like when you get behind the wheel of your car in rush hour traffic. All of these things are our faith in action. And our commitment to Christ has to be worked out in our daily activities. So we can't say, I believe in Jesus and I go to church, but I keep my personal faith out of my work. James is challenging that person who says, I keep my faith to myself. I don't wear my beliefs on my sleeve. He's saying, no, we cannot be comfortable with a passive, ineffective faith. A genuine faith must display itself. You've probably heard us talking about DTI, dreaming the impossible. It's the vineyard... Well, it's the, it's the youth festival that the Vineyard uh, denomination puts on in the summer, <clears throat> where we had 4,500 
people on site in the last month and and 4,000 of them were young people worshipping Jesus. So at DTI, Andrew and I were on team and we saw love in action. We saw CEOs of multi-million pound companies, people who manage hundreds of staff on teams, wearing high-vis jackets, carrying litter pickers. High flyers who chose to give their time when they are some of the busiest people we know. In our own church, I know of people who still think it's better to give an hour of their actual time rather than simply giving money. High-earning people who, as well as giving generously, choose to serve. But you will also see Cap, our city centre site pastor, he'll be out there with his litter picker cleaning cleaning the car park every week. Jeff, your site pastor here with Becky, he'll be getting up early many weeks of the month to go into the city centre to drive the south site van. These things are all sacrificial love in action. And this is what we're all called to. True faith is always shown in action. There's no other way to see it. Faith is shown by deeds. I love the illustrations we see in the life of Jesus. We see people breaking through the roof of a house to lower their friend into the presence of Jesus. And at that point, when they've actually done something, their actions mean that Jesus sees the faith and says to the paralyzed man, get up and walk. Their faith was a visible thing. So coming into land now, in verse 26, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Just as the physical body needs a spirit, faith needs works to make it live. Where you find separation between the spirit and the body, you find death. Faith and works can't be separated. Where faith and works are present in our lives, our faith is alive. Now, I'm really aware that some of us have really sensitive consciences. And as soon as a subject like this comes along, all we can think about is how bad we are, our inconsistencies, our faults. We beat ourselves up. And I know that because I do it myself all the time. Other people will be in self-denial and self-justification or go, oh, no, I think I'm quite okay, really. Actually, we all need to take time and come into the presence of God. In 2 Corinthians 13, we're encouraged to examine ourselves, to see whether you're in the faith. It says, test yourselves. And King David put it really well in Psalm 19. He said, who can discern their own errors? God, forgive my hidden faults. You know, it is way easier to spot the contradictions in somebody else's life and to be less aware of those in our own life. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come back now because I think we're going to just worship a little bit longer. And and in this time, I would really love us to ask God, what does he want to show us? Ask him the question, God, is there anything that you want to align in my life? It might be that he just says, start small. Serve on a team. Give financially. Do something to meet somebody else's needs. Speak to that person. Forgive that person. Be really open to what the Lord wants to say to you. And then after we've worshipped, we will have a time to pray for one another and minister to one another and see if there's anything else that the Lord wants to do. We hope you enjoyed the talk and found it helpful. We'd love to welcome you to one of our gatherings. We meet in multiple locations at multiple times on Sundays, as well as in midweek small groups across the city. More information on all of these can be found at our website, birminghamvineyard.com. Thanks for listening. Have a great day and God bless.